so we're gonna talk about the creepy guy he's like yes. sticky yes <laughs> <laughs> okay so anna are you telling me that if you if you imagine that if you encounter grima worm tongue in person that he would be sticky Physically sticky to the touch, yes. Okay. Like like when you're in a child, like a play place at McDonald's where everything is just kind of sticky and smells a little bit like pee? Yes. <laughs> He's bad. He's giving me bad vibes. <laughs> and you know what? He should. He should. You know, I was actually going to look this up beforehand, but I didn't, so I'm going to do it right fucking now. Like, more props to this actor who just, like came in and gave it his all because he's really selling that shit he did yeah and it's sold it a little too hard (laughs) maybe (laughs) what's funny is that like he has such he has like a really funny voice like it's very he's super american like he he did the whole british thing for the movie and like he did a really good job obviously um but it's funny so like when you first i'm gonna let corky get this out while i just talk to you um do 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 you know they show up um okay so here's like the description when they first walk in um at the far end of his house beyond the hearth and facing north towards the doors was a dais with three steps in the middle of the dais was a great gilded chair upon it sat a man so bent with age that he seemed almost a dwarf but his white hair was long and thick and fell in great braids from beneath a thin golden circlet upon his brow in the center upon his forehead shone a single white diamond His beard was laid like snow upon his knees, but his eyes still burned with a bright light, glinting as he gazed at the strangers. Behind the chair stood a woman clad in white. That's Eowyn. At his feet upon the steps sat a wizened figure of a man with a pale, wise face and heavy, leaded eyes. That is the only description. So it's Theoden's description with, like, the long hair and the braids. Yeah. And then, wizened figure of a man with a pale, wise face and heavy, leaded eyes. That's all we're given. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think they really expanded upon that. I think they sure did. Yeah. They're like, we've got a fun one for everyone. Mm-hmm. This creepy dude. Yeah, they were like, you know what? I think um, there's more to Grima Worm Tongue than that. Yeah. And they went for it, and it's great. Ooh, I sure did. Yeah. So, okay. So I guess that means it's time to welcome everybody back to Tolkien with Friends. Another week, another episode of uh, Lord of the Rings. So today we're covering The King of the Golden Hall and The Black Gate is Closed, which corresponds to about 36 minutes of the extended edition of two towers starting at 58 minutes and 11 ish seconds to about an hour and 34 minutes in so that's the chunk that we're looking at today and you know it's funny because it really does sync up so far we've been able to mostly sync up with like two or three chapters at a time like obviously there's going to be a little bit of the treebeard chapter but Peter Jackson saves the bulk of that for um, a little bit later. And because of most of that is the part with them, um, not just with Treebeard, but, you know, they're like waiting for the outcome of the Entmoot. Um, so obviously that the, he lines that up closer with them revving up for Helm's Deep. So I'm sure we'll get to that soon. So. Um, and you know what's funny is I was thinking about it in the first two episodes that we've done so far of Two Towers, I was starting to feel a little sad. Like, I was like, these, the way that, like, we're missing a lot of, like, character moments, you know, that I had oh. forgotten about. And, you know, we've talked about them the last couple of weeks where I'm like, dang, like, Frodo acts a little bit more like this and Mary and Pippin get to be a little bit more like this. And that's totally mm-hmm. lost in the movies. But... I think the changes, some of the changes made in this part, particularly with in Rohan, are pretty interesting and cool. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited to... I felt a little better this week when I was, like, flipping back and forth and, like, comparing and contrasting, you know? Okay, okay. Yeah. So um, as a reminder, 
in the movies, the last time we saw our fellowship, Mary and Pippin were with Treebeard. Um, that's pretty much, they haven't done anything yet. Gandalf, Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn were riding off to Edoras, um, which is like the capital city of Rohan. And Frodo, Sam, and Gollum had just exited the dead Martians at marshes. Did I just say Martians? Lord. That's what I heard. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, all those dead aliens in the marshes. <laughs> uh, so, they, so they got past the grody, icky dead people, and now they're headed towards the Black Gate. So maybe we just tackle each of our groups in that order, rather than like the flipping back and forth. Um, like going, I'm not gonna go scene by scene, but you get it. Huh. Yeah. So let, let's do Mary and Pippin first, because they're like the briefest moment in this part so the things that really happen with mary and pippin is he treebeard sets them down to sleep they wake up he's nowhere near pippin has found some thing to drink and mary notices that it's making pippin taller and this is the ent draught which um in the books treebeard just gives to them like that's their sustenance that he has to offer and i love that he meant like tolkien described it as something it's a drink but it's filling like they didn't really feel like they needed to eat anything after that okay. but being hobbits they pull out some limbus bread out of their pockets just to feel like they had eaten Eat something food. yeah it, it's it's like when i'm with josh and i'm not actually hungry but i want a snack and i say i want to chew i just want to chew something like <laughs> So I'll get like a granola bar or something, uh-huh. you know, just like, I just want a flavor. So I imagine that that's how the hobbits were feeling when they pull out the lumbus bread just because. Just because um, they need it. Yeah. So they fight over the ant drought. Then they get trapped in that tree, which I think that we had talked about before. Um, that is clearly like ripped from the tom bombadil scenes you know when mary and they're in the old forest mary and pippin get trapped inside the willow tries to drown frodo and sam is the only one kind of left to deal with it and tom bombadil comes in and he's the one that originally says like you should not be waking eat earth dig deep drink water go to sleep but then they give it to Treebeard, which i'm like if they're gonna do it that is probably the smoothest transition yeah and and it is only an extended edition scene so it's like it's not necessary but i do think it's a cute it's a cute nod um and i do think that they're using that as well to kind of set up fangorn as a more dangerous place you know like there's a line where treebeard's talking about um you know the hearts of some trees have turned black uh he said he says something in the movies like that. It's it's he mostly talks about it in the book where he's like, you know, there are some dangerous places in the forest, but I do think that this has led some people to think that that was actually a dangerous moment for Mary Pippin. Um, like I understand why, but like I had somebody on a comment section on TikTok one time say something like that the int draught was bad for them, like it was poisonous, and I'm like, no, no. They were never, like, in danger at that point. Like I didn't catch that at all. I know. I'm like, I don't know. Sometimes people watch these movies and then they just have, like, false memories implanted into their brains, I feel like. Maybe they didn't watch the same movie at us. Like, they were actually watching some different movie. Maybe. But I do love that. So later we find out that the Int Draught has causes Merry and Pippin to be, like, the tallest hobbits ever. It, like, literally helped them grow. I just think it's, like, mm-hmm. adorable. And that they, they nod to it by them, like, teasing Bickering each other. Yeah, exactly. So, like, because it never comes up again. Because, I mean, later, I think there is a part in Isengard where Pip- Mary tries to, like, measure himself against Pippin um, without Pippin noticing. And he acts like that they've, sh- you know, he shrunk back down to normal. But I do just want to note that, that does- they're actually just tall now. They're just tall. They're just tall hobbits. I mean, what? That makes Forever. them... They're still under four feet, I'm pretty sure. But okay. still. But still. <laughs> it's it's pretty good for a hobbit. Pretty tall. Yeah. So, which I think is really cute. Um, and then there is another point with them that I, I just wanted to point out about the Entwives. So, there is a... Do you remember the part where Treebeard is kind of, like, 
reciting a poem to them and they fall asleep. And yes. and they use him doing that to show a bunch of sweeping shots of forest. Um, and Trevor says it's of his own composition and then later tells but then and then later tells them about how they lost the ant wives. But that actually those two things are supposed to kind of happen at once because he explains that they haven't had kids in a long time. You know, the you know, we lost them, you know, hat conversation happens and then later he he gives them like a fuller account and then recites the poem at the end okay. of it because the poem is like it's written by the elves and so he's like so it's like quicker than i probably would have told it but um it's like the ents and the ent wives saying back and forth to each other about the stuff that they like and kind of why they don't live together anymore um, and that's why he says, you know, and say my land is best in the, at, that's the end of one of the poem lines, because they're both trying to convince each other, like, no, like, forests are better, no, like, because the Entwives like places that they can garden and cultivate, um, okay. whereas the, you know, the dude Ents want to be able to, you know, talk with the trees, and like, they're they're very tree focused and then the ant wives like more of the gardening side of things i would say okay which is why treebird says that he thinks that they would live like the shire and it's like have you seen any they're like no oh. i know <laughs> it is sad <laughs> and it's sad whenever i see any of my friends responding to people asking like what happened to the ant wives and i'm like do you really want the answer to that? I mean, it's literally one of the questions that Tolkien refused to answer, but, like, he th he talks about how he had looked for them for a long time um, and never found them. Like, he looked in the last place that they were, which was towards the east. Oh. Um, and the place is now called the Brownlands. And it's like... Oh, no. I mean, yeah, like, we can assume that Sauron scorched the heck out of these ant wives oh, and no, their gardens. Oh, no, more ant wives. Yeah. Yeah. That's sad. It is sad. It's very, it's like, we don't know exactly how sad it is in the movie, but it is pretty sad. It's a bummer. Yeah. Because it's, you know, it's kind of fun to think about... I don't know if the show... Do you think the show would get into that at all? Because, um, you know, Treebird mentions how the forest used to be, like, make up the whole of Middle-earth. And he used to be, able, like, his realm, he could, like, walk all the way. He could have walked mm -hmm. to the old forest in the Shire and to Fangorn, like, because it was all woods, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure... I, I do have a feeling that they are going to show more, like, foresty and, like, non cultivated areas in the show but I, now i just like talking just now i'm like will they show ants i mean i think they're kind of like a fan favorite yeah so surely they would um i don't even think they have to be like doing much but they could just be like off oh look off. there there's one over there yeah yeah hmm But I, but I hope they don't let the hobbits interact with them because Treebeard has basically been there since the beginning and he's very confused when he sees the hobbits. Right. They make that pretty, pretty clear that they're like, we're not orcs. And he's like, mm, but you could be an orc. Like, you've never heard of a hobbit before? Yeah. Like when they, it's funny because when they're like, no, we're hobbits. And then he starts like, he has a list of creatures that he starts running through and he's like mm, no no hobbits on this list how did you get off the list like how and so like mary i think it adds tells him like oh you should add this line to describe hobbits um it's pretty funny let me see if i can flip to that one it's easier to scan for poetry than um Oh yeah, he says, learn now the lore of living creatures. First, name the four, the free peoples. Eldest of all, the elf children. Dwarf, the delver. Dark are his houses. Ent, the earthborn. Old as mountains. Man, the mortal. Master of horses. And then he says, hmm, hmm, hmm. Beaver, the builder. Buck, the leaper. Bear, bee hunter. Boar, the fighter. Like, he goes down all these different animals. Trying to uh, find them. Yeah, and, um, no, 
Mary says, we always seem to have got left out of the old lists and the old stories. Yet we've been about for quite a long time. We're hobbits. Why not make a new line, said Pippin. Half-grown hobbits, the hole dwellers. Put us in amongst the four, next to men. Man, the big people, and you've got it. <laughs> He's like telling him how to edit his his poems. His, his own thing. Yeah, so funny. So I think those are really the the biggest things to cover with Merry and Pippin. Was there, because, so in this part of the movie, they're like hardly in it. It's really just him putting them, they take a nap, they listen to some poetry, mm-hmm. take a nap, get trapped by a tree, Dreamer picks them up and takes them again. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you had any Pretty other thoughts. Brief. Yeah. And especially since from memory, I feel like all that stuff is in the extended edition. Mm-hmm. That most of the stuff that you see with Pippin and Mary is at night after the um, the Entmoot and them deciding to, like, them coming upon the force that's decimated and then he gets pissed and turns around and mm-hmm. causes havoc. So yeah. this part is pretty brief in the part you just described. Yeah. It was brief in the movie. Yeah, totally. So... We will save more of Treebeard for, I don't even know, because it's like, I can't compare it to the book because that, we're not going to see from them in the book until Gandalf gets to Isengard. Um, So later, you know, like Peter flips back and forth through all of them. So we'll probably see some more of them next time and we'll check in, see how they're doing. Check in how little Mary Pippin are doing. (laughs) I love their part of the story because it. I don't know if it gets underplayed in people's minds, but it is like, you know, if you're just thinking about the way that the story unfolds, sure, the men deal with all the orcs that Saruman had sent over to destroy them, you know, the men of Rohan, but had they not dealt with all the things happening in Isengard, he could have escaped, he could have maybe created more havoc you know i mean saruman's a wizard and it's definitely someone to not leave out of your calculations so sure so i think what they do with treebeard is really important and it's funny because in the movie they clearly show gandalf seeing mary and pippin and like gandalf's or treebeard says to mary and pippin that he promised gandalf he would keep them safe and safe is where i'll keep you they actually never run into gandalf gandalf just really? know yeah the gand in the book gandalf just knows that they're with treebeard and so he's confident about it and he's like so then when pippin and mary see gandalf for the first time later mm-hmm. are they like whoa yeah it's um they're i think just as excited as um, cause I, well, I think that there is a part where they kind of see him off camera, but it's later. It's not at this point. Okay. Yeah. I, I think, understood. but we'll see if I'm wrong later. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So meanwhile, we have our, you know, Gandalf, Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli. I don't know what you want to call this group because in the books it was referred to Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli as the three hunters. But now we've got Gandalf in there. So. Our tall boys. The tall uh, boys. Yeah. <laughs> in comparison to our other two groups. Um, they're riding off to Edoras to free Rohan's king, Theoden, from the influence of Saruman. In the movies, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not not true. Um, but before they get there, though, we see some creepy interactions between Grima Wormtongue and Eowyn. Um, and what is interesting about his speech to her, you know, she's like clearly grieving about her, um, her yeah, her cousin. And so some of his lines that he says are taken from Gandalf and Aragorn, sort of. So when he says like, but who knows what you spoke to the darkness alone in the bitter watches of the night when all your life seems to shrink and the walls of the bower closing in about you, a hutch to trammel some wild thing in. This is something that Gandalf says about Eowyn and Return of the King, like about her. So he says it, but who knows what she spoke to the darkness alone in the bitter watches of the night. But they give it to Wormtongue to say to Eowyn. And it's like, in them doing that, 
I can't read that part without making it feel creepy. And I don't think it is supposed to feel creepy in the book. You know, uh-huh. it's, I think it's coming from a place of concern for Gandalf about Eowyn. But I can't unhear. Absolutely. Worm tongue saying it. Um, and then when he says that she's um, fair, uh, like a morning of pale spring, that is kind of Aragorn's thoughts, like his first impression of her. You know, it says, mm-hmm. thus Aragorn for the first time in the full light of day beheld Eowyn, Lady of Rohan, and thought her fair, fair and cold, like a morning of pale spring that has not yet come to womanhood. That's the full phrase. Okay. So we, we see that interaction. They really set up Wormtongue to be like, you don't want to like Sky. I mean, and they've already no. shown us him a little bit with banishing Aemir at the beginning of the movie. So, do you remember that? Or yes. not beginning, but earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So that happens. And then, uh, so we get to the part where they come to the door and Gandalf, you know, they're asked to put their weapons aside, like, and to be kept mm-hmm. at the door warden. And Gandalf doesn't want to give up his staff. But he, you know, says the, would you? I'm just an old man. Yeah, exactly. And what's <laughs> extra funny about that is that when they, you know, Tolkien makes a point of talking about when Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli first saw um, Gandalf back at the White Rider uh, chapter, before they realize it's Gandalf, and he's kind of like messing with them, like he makes it so they're kind of dumbstruck and they can't talk or move and he like springs from like the rock to rock and like i don't know like he's clearly very agile and like he just looks like an old man but he's not really you know like that's probably one of the only instances where you see like how quick he can be and stuff um like physically so and then they have this they do have this in the book where he you know wants to keep his staff but I know that this is something that, you know, we had Nubeta on last time, which was great. And I know that this is a point that Nubeta really wanted to talk about. And I should have asked him to be on this episode instead, but I didn't realize. I didn't know. So I'm going to do my best to try to explain um, this scene. So when they show up to the door, um, it's actually much longer. And I see why. And like, obviously they don't do this for a couple of reasons, right? Because in the movies, they wait for Gan- for Aragorn's sword to be reforged until Return of the King. Like, that doesn't happen until before he goes to summon the ghost mm-hmm. army. Yes. Right. Yes. So, but in the books, Aragorn has already reforged Narsil, and he's carrying around Andoril with him. That's the name of his new baby. And, um... But Aragorn does not want to leave his sword. He's very adamant. He's like, well, I don't see why King Theoden is more important than Aragorn. Like, why should I listen to him? <laughs> and then, um, and he and he does say, like, you know, I would leave my sword at the door of, even if it was like a wood, woodsman's cottage, if it was any sword but this sword. Like, Anduril is the reason. Like, because of who it's history and stuff. He's like, no, no. Absolutely. But then um, Hama, the door warden says, here you will lay it. If you would not fight alone against all the men in Edoras. And um, because this doesn't happen in the movie, uh, we don't get this response from Gimli. We have a lot of Legolas and Gimli and Aragorn sticking up for each other. Once we get to Rohan, like we see Legolas do it for Gimli. Uh, back when they're surrounded by the Rohirrim. And now Gimli says, mm-hmm. Not alone, said Gimli, fingering the blade of his axe and looking darkly up at the guard as if he were a young tree that Gimli had a mind to fell. Not alone. And then, you know, it's like, Gandalf is like, come on, guys, we're all supposed to be friends here. Like, calm down. Just, <laughs> he's like, there's no need for the, he's like, yes, it's a dumb request, but just do it anyway, Aragorn. So he does. He finally concedes, but he uh, says, he gives a description of the history of the sword, like that it is the sword that cut the ring, you know, that it's a Lindil sword, um, and adds, death shall come to any man that draws a Lindil sword, save a Lindil's heir. 
And I'm sure if Newbetter were here, he would know exactly what that means. Uh, but to me, I'm like, okay, wait. Is is it cursed? Or is Aragorn making a threat right now? Right. I have no idea. <laughs> Maybe? Both? Both? Yeah. <laughs> Could be. Could be. I Magic is so, like... Uh, you know, it's so subtle and, like, really unspecified by the time we get to the Third Age, so who knows? Maybe it is, like, a curse. Like, uh, not so much, like, a super crazy curse, like, you would grab it and then die, but... Immediately melt. Right, like, it's probably more, like, something just bad in general would happen to you. I don't know. But it is, and they're like, we won't touch it. That's fine. That's cool. We're cool. You're cool. We're cool. You know. <laughs> you can get it. We don't want it. Yeah, we're we're not get. We're just leave it. Just leave it there. And then Gimli is like, "Well, I guess if Anduril will keep my axe company, I'll I'll leave it." Oh, I know it's so funny. <laughs> They're cute. Yeah, but it's funny because they've already promised Legolas that they won't touch his bow because it comes from Lothlorien, and they're also spooked by Lothlorien. So, oh. so I'm like. They're not gonna mess with your stuff, guys. It's cool. Still be wary. Yeah, I know, but it's like if they're saying. if they're not gonna touch Legolas's bow, why are they gonna touch your? I mean, maybe they just be ooh shiny. I don't know. Um, but everyone does put their stuff down. But then, uh, he's Hama's like, okay, now I need your staff, and Gandalf is like. <laughs> foolishness prudence is one thing but discourtesy is another i am old if i may not lean on my stick as i go that i will sit out here until it pleases theoden to hobble out himself to speak with me i think that's really funny well if he's like yeah you guys can leave your shit but i'm not kind of <laughs> like um and aragorn like teases him being like well every man has something too dear to trust to another but then like backs him up and it, he's the one that says like would you pardon old man from his support and they change that so that gandalf is like would you pardon old man from his walking stick you know mm -hmm. um and in the movie hama doesn't really say anything he just kind of moves aside and lets them in but in the book he acknowledges that the staff in the hand of a wizard may be more than a prop for age but believes him to be trustworthy and honorable and with no evil purpose so he lets them in so it's really like a judgment call and we've mm -hmm. seen that again with Aomer when they first run into him and he gives them horses and he really wasn't supposed to be doing that um he he makes them he's like you know i'll do this because i, I believe what you're telling me i think you're cool but yeah i'm putting my faith in you that you will return these horses to edoras you know and they're he, and aragorn's like yeah we'll bring them back as soon as we figure out what happened to our friends because that's our first priority right now yeah. so it's interesting because um there is a part that we miss in the movies as well like they just walk into edoras but they're actually questioned at the gate because you know how it's surrounded by that big gate um that big mm -hmm. fence um and they're questioned in, like, their own language. And, you know, Gandalf and Aragorn, I think, can understand it. But Gandalf is like, why aren't you using Western? Like, why aren't you using, like, the common speech that everyone uses? And basically, two days before, Wormtongue had sent the order that only people that know their language and are their friends can enter the city. And two days before is when Eomer had come back and, like, told them about knowing about Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's all very sus. Slimy? It's, yeah, he's the worst. So, so that's kind of a difference between them getting in. But, you know, it doesn't really change anything. But um, the, I, w I mention it just to say that, like, there is moments where they try to set up the Rohir, you know, the citizens of Rohan, to, they're a little bit more suspicious. You know, they're in troubling times. I get it. But they also have things like Hama and Aemir choosing to trust, you know, based on what they see from the people, like these strangers. Mm -hmm. So I think that's cool. I think it's showing, like, how difficult a time it is right now in middle earth of course and like everyone's kind of wary and on their toes but that they're still like good solid people mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. minus worm tongue i'm like where is he even from because he cannot be from here like <laughs> he, 
You are not a local. Yeah, like, what is your deal? Um, so then we get to probably the more, the most, like, intense part of this section of movie where, um, Gandalf tries to cure Theoden of whatever's been going on with him. Um, and I just have to say that Bernard Hill proves time and again that he was the exact right choice for Theoden. Like, there's so much, the things that they do with the script and also just his ability, I think makes Theoden even more likable than he is in the books. Because he doesn't, there's not like, a, at this point at least, there's not a ton of dialogue from Theoden. And he is very much like a leader of his people and particularly his army, you know? But they soften him up so much in the movie and I love it. And it's funny because later we learn that Mary looks to Theoden as kind of like a father figure. Hmm. Um, and I think that that's, if we carry that over to the movies, I think it's more believable of movie Theoden than book Theoden, per se. So, I guess I'll explain what I mean. So, <laughs> so um, when Gandalf, you know, extracts Saruman from Theoden, he falls and Eowyn goes to catch him, you know? And he says, I know your face. And it, it's just like, he gives Peter Jackson gives him I love that we give more screen time to Eowyn than she really has in in the books um and showing this relationship between them I think it's super lovely and we'll see that reap some rewards later down the road in Return of the King right where Uh he he will he will repeat that line again um to Eowyn Uh and um so you know the added funeral scene yep any uh, initial reactions to that before I just, like, lose my mind and well, go for it? <laughs> so, honestly, I found it, like, super unnecessary because we don't even, like, know this kid. Yeah, it's the dude's son and Eowyn's yeah. cousin and it's really dramatic and everyone cares. And then she starts singing and you're like, <laughs> oh, my God, is this necessary? <laughs> So, yeah, so we have the funeral. I mean, that whole thing, I think, is extended, except for, like, the singing is definitely extended. Um, And we don't, but they do show, I think, in both versions, um, you know, he says, where is my son? And then Mm -hmm. cut to him being at his grave site, you know, with the mounds, with the, the flower, like, ever has it grown on the graves of my forebears or whatever he says. Sure. Um, so this scene, I think him crying over the death of his son, like, I don't even need to know who this kid is. Just Bernard Hill's acting, just, just, I'm like, oh, so good. Yeah. <laughs> but what's funny is that they may, I, I mean, and just listen to this. So like his lines, alas, that these evil days should be about mine, should be mine, the young parish and the old linger, um, that I should live to see the last days of my house. In the book, it's some of this, he says this after Gandalf has kind of clued him in on what's going on. I don't think he's told him about the ring per se, but I think he has told them that they're on a quest to try to defeat the enemy. Um, and he, Because he knows Boromir's dead and he says, Alas for Boromir the brave, the young perish, and the old linger withering. And I'm like... He says that about Boromir? <laughs> like, yeah. I like that they made it about Theodred, about his son. Uh-huh. Because, like... Why would you... Yeah, sorry, Boromir, yeah. but... Yeah. Nah. <laughs> so, I do think... I, I, They're giving him all these really, like, personal moments that I think are really, really sweet. Um, and I think it, it really pays off, and I think it pays off later as well. You know? When... We're going to have this juxtaposition between Theoden and Denethor, particularly. Um, But I just, I do like him. I just, you know, when we get to the military stuff and, like, his speeches to his troops, oh, they're so good. Uh They're Uh so good. I can't wait to get to those parts. But, um, But, yeah, so, like, here's the intro to Theoden. And 
interestingly, like we've mentioned before that like magic isn't usually as intense as it's shown to be in in the movies. So, you know, his miraculous transformation is so subtle. Like it never mentions him reverse aging or his beard shrinking or mm-hmm. his hair color changing or any of that. Um, but I do think that there is and I get why they did it like that. And it looks great. I mean, it's cool, you know, like, and it, I feel like it's probably more impactful. It for, translates well for the movie. Yeah. Like to show that the evil has left his body. Yeah, exactly. But in the, just for funsies, I mean, just to explain it a little bit, the, in the movie or the book, it's Gandalf, he makes the room dark and then focuses, and then somehow, like, with his staff, I guess, and then also, and then brings back the daylight, and kind of, that kind of is part one of bringing Theoden out of it, and he walks outside, and that's when Gandalf says, you know, breathe the free air again, um, and he, he basically goes from, like, being bent double, and then he, like, drops his staff, and he's, like, tall, and again, because these are, like, a tall proud people so then he goes from like being bent and you know worn and like his eyes shine brighter um and he 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 wavers a little bit and then that's when like he has him grasp his sword um and it's actually amir's sword because grima has locked away theoden's sword which i'm like does he know does he know that that's how this works Mm. maybe he does um so it's really just like moments like that like having the sunshine breathing the air again like coming outside of his dark halls holding his sword like that is kind of like the complete transformation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but i'm like oh, so he's still supposed to have this long beard and braids i don't know is his hair still white probably probably i don't know how old dad supposed to be if you know somebody send us a note <laughs> i'm not gonna look it up because i don't care enough um so yeah so that's kind of how it is in the book but it and it's like obviously i'm paraphrasing it right now right. but there is like a i think a, a subtle beauty to the way that tolkien writes it you know if you mm-hmm. are interested but for the movie it's hard to do it's hard to do subtlety in a a blockbuster film right right, right. you're like almost forced to do things with everything dramatic so mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it works well. I also like that we get to see, you know, a more direct link between Theoden and Saruman. Because really, Grima is the link to Saruman in this instance. Like, poisoning Mm -hmm. his mind slowly through, like, his whispers and lies, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, you know, makes sense of Grima. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it is nice, I think, for a lot of people who probably don't Maybe they've forgotten what Saruman's up to, or they don't see how he would have a connection to why he would care about Rohan. So mm-hmm. I think having that more obvious tie probably helps. Yeah. But one thing that sense. Gandalf does note, um, this is separate because obviously the Grima thing has been going on for a long time, but he um, he notes to Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli that after the because no news of the orcs will ever come to Isengard like the Urukai that were carrying Merry and Pippin he's was con- he's probably concerned that maybe the Rohirrim found the ring or the hobbits or whatever and so now he's doubly worried about Rohan um gotcha. so fun fact hmm. and um another change that they do with um the movies like Peter Jackson just loves to make his heroes hesitate. They're just never like gung ho about. It. They're never quick decision makers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he makes it out to seem like you know our three hunters and Gandalf are against him going to Helm's Deep, um, as if it's kind of like a waited out option. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, in the book Theoden listens to. Gandalf and he he is mustering his folks he sends the women and children to Dunharrow which is what we see 
later in Return of the King where they go to muster more forces to go help Gondor. Okay. So women and children are supposed to be there, not in the caves at Helm's Deep later. But he keeps them all together in the movie, which, sure. Um, oh. Yeah. And he... Um, we haven't talked about it... We we won't we don't know why yet why they do end up going to Helm's Deep, but I do want to mention that again that Theoden does take Gandalf's advice to go fight Saruman. Like that was Plan A was like I'm gonna go get him head on, you know. Um, but then they have to change their plan on their way there, which we'll find out next chapter. Okay. But you know, drama as we've said always uh, always drama. I mean. I you know it's fine like I get it um at this moment it doesn't really bother me too much it's later when Peter starts just like throwing stuff in that I'm like no stop can't wait to hear about it <laughs> so that takes us to Frodo Sam and Gollum what have they been up to so they have just arrived at the Black Gate and when in both versions, like, when Gollum realizes that they mean to enter Mordor that way, freaks out. He's like, absolutely not. Um, but he's sworn to protect the precious, right? So he... And he's terrified of Sauron getting the ring. That's okay. his... You know, number one thing is he will never have it again. You know? Because he wants it, right? Um, but he doesn't want Frodo to take it to him, so he coughs up that there is another way um and in the movies they make it out like Gollum doesn't tell them this until they're about to run in yeah um and they also give Sam this like goofy fall where they like the the Easterlings show Mm -hmm. up and like like I, I guess it's a cool way to show how the elvish cloaks work you know like but it doesn't happen. Like, why did you do that to Sam? <laughs> I still think there's just, like, a huge production flaw in that scene. Because, like, Frodo has his backpack on. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and saves Sam. And they obviously cover themselves. And the backpack isn't there when they're a rock. But his backpack is obviously there the rest of the time. And I'm like, it was just a little <gasps> a little unnecessary yeah. to, to do all that. Yeah. The, the... Also, like, you would be seen if you're falling down a huge like i don't know hill yeah the main entrance to a the baddie lands yeah that it it, no it's just (sighs) no so so what really happens here is they show up and oh i have to turn to the page with the the note because i just loved whenever we see things from Sam's perspective, I just think his thoughts are so precious. Precious little baby Sam. Like... I love you, you're Sam. I do. He's such a... He's just a good, solid hobbit. So there's a part where... Um, like, at the beginning of this chapter, Tolkien focuses on describing the the Moranin, the and which is the black gate and like the towers that they're attached to on either side mm-hmm. um you know he's really trying to make it feel spooky um and i think he does a great job and he he also talks a little bit about the history i mean this is like it's funny how he switches between perspectives like sometimes it's omniscient narrator sometimes it's sam's thought sometimes it's frodo occasionally it's gollum you know it's all over okay. the place um but it talks about how this was originally built uh, by the men of Gondor after the overthrow of Sauron, um, lest he should seek to return to his old realm. Basically, like, they're guarding Mordor against him. And as you can see, it don't work out. It doesn't work out the way that they plan. Uh, he takes it back, and now it's full of orcs and creepy things and ever-watching eyes, right? Um, so when Frodo is like saying like they're gonna go into Mordor and Gollum is like no don't let him have it you know go away to nice places and give it back to little Smeagol yes yes master give it back a Smeagol will keep it safe he will do lots of good especially tonight's hobbits hobbits go home don't go to the gate 
obviously his main thing is don't go in there, but he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, if you want to give it to me, I'll take it. It's fine. Oh my god, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I, I volunteer. And it cuts to Sam being. Sam said nothing. The look on Frodo's face was enough for him. He knew that his, that words of his were useless. And after all, he never had any real hope in the affair from the beginning. But being a cheerful hobbit, he had not needed hope as long as despair could be postponed. <laughs> Sam! Precious little baby. <laughs> um, so... character. I know. He is good. Like, he's... And I love it that, um... There's a point in this chapter where Sam and Gollum kind of mistake it points to it's mostly in Sam's head but um it talks about how you know Sam doesn't once Gollum finally realizing that Frodo is going to do whatever it is he's whatever it takes to get inside Mordor he's like no Mm -hmm. there's another way um and Sam is suspicious obviously from the start he doesn't think they should do it they shouldn't listen to Gollum he would rather Gollum be rid of them you know you know be rid of him if he if he because he obviously doesn't want to go back into mordor uh so he's like well at least we could maybe lose Gollum in there uh mm-hmm. and he is concerned um there's also a concern because Gollum refuses to say if the way is guarded or not the the secret passage yes yes okay. and uh we know at this point that sam has overheard Gollum talking to himself and saying we should let her do it you know so he knows that something is going on but he's like so i don't know which version is talking right now so Mm -hmm. he he knows that Gollum is up to something he can't really say what it is um and both Gollum in different ways both Gollum and sam see frodo as a kind person and uh sam even in his head calls him soft-hearted that he's like as wise as any of them, but soft-hearted, you know. Mm-hmm. And they mistake this for weakness, um, because then there's a part where Frodo reminds Gollum of his promise, and he is very much like, you know, he's saying like, "I'll trust you, like we'll do this, but don't ever let yourself," you know. Like, already you are being twisted. You revealed yourself to me just now foolishly. Give it back to Smeagol, you said. Do not say that again. Do not let that thought grow in you. You will never get it back. But the desire of it may betray you to a bitter end. You will never get it back. In the last need, I would put on the precious, and the precious mastered you long ago. If I, wearing it, were to command you, you would obey, even if it were to leap from a precipice or to cast yourself into the fire. And such would be my command." Like, okay, okay, Frodo. Don't step on him. Yeah, so that's, after that point, Gollum is like, he obviously, like, act, you know, Sam is, like, proud of Frodo for doing that. He looks at him with approval and surprise. And after that, Gollum is, you know, very much, like, cowed. He's, um, he is acting pretty pitiful, pitiful, pitiful at this point. And, um, then they have a whole conversation about, like, what is this path? You know, most of this chapter is is dialogue between these three. And Peter cuts that out, like, a ton of it out, you know? Um, And I get that. But, you know, from a book perspective, you kind of learn where it is that they're going, which, um... Like, and it's crazy to me the amount that Gollum knows. Like, he knows that the original name of the place that they're going towards. So, in the movie, we find out that it's called Minas Morgul. And it's this creepy, castle-y looking place, uh-huh. right? And then the stairs and the pass that they're talking about is called Kirith Ungol. We learn that from Famir later in the movie. Um, and, but... Gollum knows that it was built by a seal door. Um, he or like he knows that it was built by the kings of men, um, and that it was called the Tower of the Moon. I'm like, that's crazy. Like He's Gollum has. Around. That's true. He has been around a long time, and he has 
picks up on things that you maybe wouldn't have expected. But I guess it makes sense knowing who Gollum is. Like, it's always just kind of listening and creeping around and trying mm-hmm. to know people's business. So, oh, and also we hear, I think we get a glimpse about Sauron. Like, I know we talked about Sauron a lot last episode. I think we do. This is probably one of the only instances where we think about Sauron in the third, in, at this point in the third age as like being a, a figure, like a, a person with a, a form, a body. Uh-huh. And that's because Gollum says, you know, he's responding to Frodo talking about Isildur building, you know, that he built Minas Ithil, which is the Tower of the Moon, which later becomes Minas Morgul. Um, and it was Isildur who cut off the finger of the enemy. Yes, he has only four on the black hand, but they are enough, said Gollum, shuddering. And I'm like, did Sauron torture you himself? <laughs> That's some elite torture. Right? That's serious <laughs> business. Yeah, he brought the man down to do it. Yeah, I mean, whew. Spoopy. So I thought that was interesting. But the real thing in this chapter that made me go, that I was like, did not remember at all. Like, you know, I reread these all the time, but Mm -hmm. there's always something where I'm like, wait, what? Okay, so we've been talking a lot about the timeline of this movie and how so far we've seen Peter flipping back and forth between book three and four pretty consistently like one chapter one chapter one chapter one with some slight exceptions but not nothing major yet and it made us and it makes us feel like this is the timeline of things that happen right and while it's true that these are happening in the same order for everyone that it's not that this is aren't happening at the same time so this is the point where, um, you know, Gollum is saying there's no other way that he keeps asking if it's guarded. He refuses to answer. Um, and it says they could not get him to say more. The name of the perilous place and the high pass he would not, he could not tell or would not. Its name was Kirith Ungol, a name of dreadful rumor. Aragorn could perhaps have told them that the name, that name and its significance. Gandalf would have warned them. But they were alone, and Aragorn was far away, and Gandalf stood amid the ruin of Isengard and strove with Saruman, delayed by treason. Yet even as he spoke his last words to Saruman, and the Palantir crashed in the fire upon the steps of Orthanc, his thought was ever upon Frodo and Samwise. Over the long leagues his mind sought for them in hope and pity. So, Helm's Deep is already... By the time that Frodo and Sam have gotten through uh the dead martians and are finally to the black gate but they're delayed again because they have to go around right to get Mm -hmm. to this secret pass that Gollum is telling them about helm's deep should have already happened mary and pippin and treebeard have already taken over isengard gandalf is with everyone at orthanc trying to convince saruman to give them information come back to the good side all of that like stuff that they don't show us until Return of the King movie, but mm-hmm. basically, the, all the events of this are all, are basically over by the time that uh they get to the Black Gate. So they're walking through those marshes for like ever, apparently. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what? Huh? <laughs> I'm like, I have no concept of time in Middle Earth anymore. And so he throws those in there because, and this is something I was talking about. I had a call with um, James who runs the Digital Tolkien Project. And he like, basically you can kind of search for any word or phrase and see how often it comes up. Uh, That's one of his latest things anyway, um, which has been really cool and helpful. And he, he does a lot of talks and a lot of other things, but I was talking to him about this project that we're working on and um he made a point that i thought was really interesting about how in the movies well in the books you know like there's this um long breaks between 
checking in on any other on like the other members of the group right depending mm-hmm. on where you are you're not really sure what Frodo and Sam are up to if you're with them you're not really sure like there's obviously nods like that where we get a glimpse back at what had had been happening and um, what we should have already known about based on the structure of of the book um and he noted that if the movie had done something like this it might have and it also like in the book may have given people more of a sense of distance between these characters not just time um which i thought was an interesting point and but i was like dang when i read that part i was like wow that had clearly not stayed in my brain because that is uh that's forever yeah whereas and you can also kind of see like the focus that um peter jackson is having like what he he chooses to focus on in the movies which i think we're going to get to next time because next time we do get to the chapter of helm's deep and i'm really excited to compare those because we know that that part of the movie takes up a chunk of time um Mm -hmm. But it's only one chapter in the book. So uh, I'm going to read my two chapters and then see what happens in the movie. Like, may have to adjust the number. How many chapters? Fewer chapters? Not sure. Um, So we're going to get to Helm's Deep next time. Um, We're also going to get to, I think we may run into Faramir next time. Yeah. So... I'm excited. Good stuff coming ahead. Uh, And I think that's all that I had on my list. But Anna, any other reactions to... uh, Oh, actually, I lied. This was a thought that I had that I didn't write down. But um, this isn't about the book at all. This is is Mm -hmm. just about the the movie. Um, Let's just talk about the world building that Peter Jackson does. Because... Like, the set design of Meadowseld and Edoras, I just think is so cool. I think being... Well, Two Towers isn't necessarily my favorite movie of the three. I love all of the scenes where we're in Rohan. I love the way that, like, the intricacies of, like, their tapestries in the background. Like, their swords with the horse heads at the hilt. Um, I just think the attention to detail is gorgeous. And it it feels like a very lived in world when we're here, um, which which I love. And it's also a different flavor of men than later when we see in Gondor, um, even what we've seen with Aragorn. You know, I think it's it's very cool and expands upon everything that we've seen so far. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's definitely a very distinct sense of place. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're there, which I think is helpful for an audience member who's like not read the books because you're just like, okay, we're in a new spot and this is like a whole different culture. And those little details that you just mentioned um, help you really uh, attach yourself to that new place. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any other thoughts in your notes? Uh, not about this particular section. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. So yeah, so we're gonna start seeing more Aowen. Hmm? But I, I, I did do <laughs> warm tongue barf. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe we should start releasing our notes just so for funny. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh my goodness. Yeah, warm tongue is so gross. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I will say that that conversation with them, while it is much condensed, there's not a lot of verbiage change, you know? They just will, they'll essentially take the end of any of their big paragraphs of text. And it's usually like the last thing that they say, like mm-hmm. Loth spell I name you. Like that's at the end of what um, Wormtongue is saying, or like, you know, your hall, the courtesy of your halls of lesson to blade. Like, it's all there, um, which I think is really cool. But we just get less of it, which makes sense given mm-hmm. the medium that we're in. Yep. Um, but yeah, that is one thing I've also started to notice that if I were to guess, I think of all the fellowship members, Gandalf is the least 
change character uh, in multiple ways, but particularly also in dialogue. Like okay. they may cut his text and they may reduce it, but they try it. There's clearly an effort being made to keep Gandalf says Gandalf's lines, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes it's both from like a production standpoint and from a Ian McCallan standpoint. That. it could be i think i mean it's hard to not like i could just imagine being in peter's shoes and reading you know reading this the text and figuring out what they want him to say and being like i mean ian mckellen you know he can do it he could deliver all of this perfectly so i get mm-hmm. why they would do that but it, it's also interesting to just it feels like they're trying to keep the flavor of gandalf as close to what you get in the books as possible Mm-hmm. Whereas they clearly make creative decisions for Frodo and Aragorn, particularly, and Merry and Pippin, and Legolas and Gimli. Like, Legolas and Gimli's amount of dialogue is cut a lot, mm-hmm. um, which is a little sad. Um, but, and then, so I would hazard a guess, I haven't tested any of this, but I would say that Sam might come in second for being as close to the book as possible, at least in terms of lines that they use from him. You know, like when he, like, references to his dad, the old gaffer, you know, like that. There's a line that he says in there that, um, in this section, that is taken directly from him. I think there's a lot. I mean, maybe Gollum is also up there, too. I mean, there's definitely some changes, but there, there's a lot of, um, I think as far as, if we're just talking vibes... Just like for my 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 instincts, I would say like Gandalf for sure, and then maybe Sam and Gollum are also pretty consistent with who they are in in the books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting, that's, yeah. So something to keep an eye on. Sweet that I will continue to maybe make note of if so far no so way. good. But... Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah, so I think that's pretty much everything that happens here. So now everybody is gearing up, um, whether book or movie, Ro- the Rohirrim are moving out. Uh, mm-hmm. They're making moves. They're getting out of Edoras, uh, either way. And um, Frodo, Sam, and Gollum are making their way. You know, they're about to... They're leaving the Black Gate, and they're going to try this crazy way that Gollum was suggesting. Um, which maybe they should be more afraid of than they are. But actually, that's probably a good thing that they are a little more clueless. Um, I think sometimes it's harder to make decisions with all the information. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's just maybe just me. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Honestly, yeah, it is just you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, then Mary and Pippin, we'll see what they're up to next time. Because obviously in the books, we kind of already know. But in the movies... Um, they, we haven't even had Intmute yet, so. Gotta get up on that Intmute. Yes, gotta, I do, <clears throat> I do love the Intmute part in the movies, particularly because we get to see, like, all the different variations of what an Int could look like. I think that's fun and yeah. hard, hard to describe in, in a book. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. This, um, this has nothing to do with Lord of the Rings and has everything to do with Game of Thrones. I mean, we're here for that too. <laughs> um, something that they took out of Game of Thrones is like a king's mute uh, for the Iron Islands. Mm. So there's that scene where everyone mm, loves a good moot. <laughs> everyone loves a moot. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because I didn't really like register it as like a thing that people did in fantasy until mm-hmm. I read Game of Thrones. Because I'm like, yeah, the the int moot, that's just the thing that they're doing in Lord of the Rings. But then right. when I did it in Game of Thrones, I was like, oh, is this a thing? Is this a real thing? <laughs> like, is this a real word? Right. It feels like a word specifically for ends. Yes. And then, especially if that is, and it is for, I'm guessing everyone in this podcast right now it is the first time we've ever seen that word and then it's like oh oh everyone's yeah, just moving super lord of the rings specific and then i was like oh oops <laughs> i love that yeah yeah but they, they took that out of the tv show so oh it's just in the books dang no moot for no moots for the 
Hmm. For the Ironborn. Has anybody mooted in the... What's the book called that you're reading now? For no, one has, no one has mooted yet. No one has mooted? <laughs> no. <laughs> not in quite the detail. If, if they have, it's not in a detail that I... What is the definition right. of a moot? Yeah, let's exactly. <laughs> What's how to moot? <laughs> Subject to debate, dispute, or uncertainty, having little or no practical revelation. So that's definition one. Definition two, having little or no pra- right, right, something is moot, no practical relevance. Verb to raise a question or topic for discussion, suggests an idea or possibility. Mm-hmm. So okay, like, that makes sense in. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. But I just had no idea. So in this context, Treebeard is posing that they should do something about Saruman. Yes. And they debate the pros and cons of that, which hopefully we'll see soon. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, I wonder, I'm curious to see if there's ever going to be a part of the movie, I'm going to hazard a yes. That, like, will be a significant portion that just has no reference to the book. And we'll just be, like, talking about the movie at some point. Mm-hmm. With no, like, tie to the book. We'll see. Okay. I have a feeling I'm, I have an idea of what, when that could potentially be. But we'll see. Because it's like, and when I'm doing that, do I just, do we just have an episode where we just, no. We're just going to have to wait it out, and it'll just be a huge chunk of the movie that we talk about. Because the way I've scheduled it out, like, there's always a chapter to re- church reference. And then we'll just see how much movie that gets us, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I'll be here. Thanks, babe. I love it when you're here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I try. <laughs> so, great. So, that is... Two Towers so far. It's funny. I don't... You know, there's no, like, halfway through anymore with this book. Because I've got two books. It's all over the place. Yeah. So, we are a part way through Two Towers. Tune in next time to see what happens and what differences there are between the book and the movie. When with Helm's Deep and uh, of Herbs and Stewed Rabbit. <laughs>